So we have been studying the Holy Spirit the last few weeks, and in particular, we've been looking at the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. The Scriptures teach that the Holy Spirit has three ways that He interacts with humanity. He is with all of us, believer, unbeliever. He, he is, comes alongside, the Bible tells us, to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment, to convince us that Jesus is who He claimed to be. And when we receive that testimony, we receive what, what He says about who we are and what He says about who Jesus is, the Bible says that He comes inside of us. He comes in us, and He begins the process of making us more like Jesus. That's His second ministry. It's for believers only. Well, this morning, we're going to examine what the Bible says about His third ministry to us, His work upon us, how the Holy Spirit overflows our lives and touches others around us. This ministry is often called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's a phrase you may have heard. You may have heard it called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. What is this thing that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, to understand that, we need to understand the meaning of baptism. The word for baptism in the Bible, it means to be immersed, submerged, and then to emerge. In other words, you go in, you're kept down, and then you come out. So, Baptism, therefore, implies that someone is doing the immersing, someone is being immersed, and that they are being immersed in something. Now, there are three baptisms that the Scripture describes. First off, we have water baptism, and that's for human being number one, or if you're at the beach, human being number one and two. Human being number one immerses human being number two in water, right? So that's water baptism. A person is immersing another person into water. The second baptism uh, is the one that we talked about last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we've been all made to drink into one Spirit. So in this instance, the Holy Spirit is the person who immerses a new believer into the family of God, the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the baptizer. We are the ones receiving it, and it's, we are immersed into the body of Christ, the family of God. The third baptism is one we have not talked about yet in our study on the Holy Spirit, and that's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So let's turn to Matthew 3, verse 11, where we see John describe it, John the Baptist. Now, it is important to point out the context here. John is not saying this to a select group of people. He's not even saying it to believers. He's saying it to a multitude that's come out to hear him preach, some who are coming to get baptized as a result of his preaching. In fact, these specific words are spoken to people that he will not baptize. The religious leaders come to him, and he says to them, why have you come out here when you haven't repented? Go repent first, and then we can talk about baptism. But then John says this in Matthew 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than I, referring to Jesus, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He, Jesus, shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is where Jesus immerses a believer in the Holy Spirit. 
That's the baptism with the Holy Spirit. This immersion into the Holy Spirit was prophesied by multiple scriptures. Turn to the book of Joel chapter 2. Now, if you have a hard time finding Joel, find Daniel and go right a little bit. You'll, Joel is not far after Daniel. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. The prophet Joel, long before Jesus came, said, And it shall come to pass, Joel 2, 28, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon, not in or with, but upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. I haven't dreamed any dreams lately, so that means I'm still young. (laughs) Not any special dreams, at least. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in whose days will I pour out, my, in those days will I pour out my spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now, when we get to Acts chapter 2, Peter explained that Joel's teaching about this coming work of the Holy Spirit was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. In Joel chapter 2, verse 17, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, Peter quotes it. He says, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then he begins quoting the rest of those verses that Joel originally prophesied and predicted. So Joel predicted it. Peter explained that this was the fulfillment of that teaching. John the Baptist taught that the ministry of the Holy Spirit was coming in this way. We already read it in Matthew 3.11. But what's interesting is if you search every gospel, you will see those words in every gospel, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And whenever every gospel mentions something, that means, that, but that's not a long list, by the way. If you want to find a list of all the things that were mentioned by every gospel that they all covered, that's a short list. Whenever every gospel writer decides to mention something, that means each writer found it to be so important that they could not leave it out. They needed to cover it again, even though others had already addressed the topic. This is important. And of course, Jesus taught that this ministry of the Holy Spirit was coming. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Verses 4, 5, and verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and then verse 8. Acts 1, 4, and being assembled together with them, commanded, Jesus commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which says he, you have heard of me. You've heard concerning this. You've heard about this concerning me. For John truly, that's where you heard it, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Verse 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. 
All of these scriptures use the phrase upon when they describe this immersion in the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean that the Holy Spirit will come upon a person? Well, that prepositional phrase, upon, it means to come over you or overflow you. This is different than the Holy Spirit coming alongside us or dwelling within us. This is the outward working of the Holy Spirit's dynamic power in my life as it overflows and touches the people around me. This is why the scriptures often call it being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because when you fill something to the brim, what happens? It overflows. It starts to spill out. So, this is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It's His dynamic power, outward working out of my life, overflowing me to touch the people around me. Now, when do we receive, or when does this baptism of the Holy Spirit occur? If you sit down with good Bible-believing Bible teachers, none of them will disagree on whether there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, but this is where you'll get some interesting conversations arise. You may have even had an argument with somebody about when this happens. So when does the baptism of the Holy Spirit occur? Well, there are three major views out there. Obviously, that means only one of them can be right. There is the fundamental or the cessationist viewpoint, which they would teach that the baptism with the Holy Spirit occurs immediately at your conversion. You don't ask for it. It's just something that happens the moment you repent of your sins and receive Christ. You're born again. You're baptized in the Holy Spirit. They say it occurs simultaneously, automatically at conversion. That's the cessationist view. Then there is the ultra-Pentecostal view, because not all Pentecostals believe this. But the ultra-Pentecostal view is that, no, it is subsequent to conversion. It doesn't happen when you get saved. It is something you must ask for, and if you don't get it, you're not saved. They will say it's necessary for salvation to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. By the way, the first group says that too, because they believe it occurs at salvation. So it's not so far-fetched. For, for someone to have that idea. It, it, a lot of times you'll see a cessationist arguing with an ultra-Pentecostal, and you believe this, and they actually both believe the same thing about that. They just believe it occurs at different times. Now, the third view is, for lack of a better term, the biblical view. <laughs> Sorry. And, and if you don't hold to this view, I'm, I'm not saying you're not a believer. I'm not saying you're bad. I'm not saying you're not smart. Or you don't know the Bible well. That's not my point, but those two views are not biblical. This is the biblical view. The biblical view is that it is something that happens subsequent to conversion. You ask for it, but it's not necessary for salvation. Now you say, how do you know that's the biblical view? Well, we have numerous examples of this being a subsequent experience in the Bible, which is where we get our truth from. We don't get it from our systematic theologies. We get it from the Scriptures. First off, we look just at the disciples. We already covered last week that in John chapter 14, verse 16, that Jesus promises disciples, I'm going away, but I'm going to send another comforter unto you, a comforter just like me. And he's going to come. He's already been with you, but he shall be in you. John 14, 16, he shall be in you. Well, we read in John chapter 20, just a few pages to the left of Acts 1, John chapter 20, that when Jesus came into their midst, and he explained who he was, showed them his hands and his feet. The disciples were glad. And then Jesus said to them, peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. John 20, 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. 
I explained last week, so I'm not going to go into detail again, but that's when the disciples were born again. That's when they went from an Old Testament faith to a New Covenant faith. The disciples were born again, and the Holy Spirit came inside them. Now, what's interesting is at that moment, Jesus didn't say, all right, you're born again, go get them, guys. No, he says, wait. Jesus tells them in Acts chapter 1, as we just recently read, wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit before going out to fulfill the Great Commission. Being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he says, you have heard concerning me. For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be. They had not had this experience yet. They were born again, had the Holy Spirit living inside of them, but they did not have this experience yet. You shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And then we see that event in Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Now, this is so important to see. It's easy to miss because we just tend to read our Bibles without really thinking about what we're reading sometimes. But it's right here. Acts 2, verse 2. They're gathered together, all the disciples or all the believers are gathered together on the day of Pentecost in one place. And it says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And what did the rushing mighty wind do? It filled all the house where they were sitting. Now we're all sitting in a building right now. If I filled this entire room with water, we would want to get out because we don't want to drown. However, I would not be inaccurate to say we've all been baptized because we've all been immersed. If I filled this building with balloons or bubbles or anything else, if someone filled this building with with popcorn, we would have been immersed in popcorn. So what happens here is the whole building is filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were baptized, immersed into the Holy Spirit. So clearly a subsequent experience for the disciples. We have multiple other examples from the book of Acts. I'm just going to give three. Turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Persecution has come to the church. Saul, the Pharisee, is leading the persecution, and the Christians scatter from Jerusalem. And one of the deacons there in Jerusalem, verse 5, then Philip, he went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. Now, Jewish people don't go to Samaria. They go around Samaria to get to wherever they're going. But Philip goes into the city of Samaria and he preaches Christ unto those Samaritans. And the people with one accord, verse 6, gave heed unto those things which Philip spoke, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame, they were healed. They were seeing people get healed, and they're like, what is, what is this guy doing? What, what is he talking about? And he's preaching Jesus to him. He's preaching the gospel to him, and people are getting saved. And there was great joy in that city. Verse 9, before Philip got there, there was a situation in the city, though. There was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city had used sorcery, and he had bewitched the people. The word there, bewitched, just means he had shocked the people with the miracles he did. And so it says that he was giving out that himself was some great one. He was projecting himself as a messianic type of figure. And the people were listening to him, to whom, verse 10, all the people gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. This is our Messiah. This is the guy. 
And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. He'd done supernatural things. People were following him. But now Philip comes in, and they're not following him anymore. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip, and what did they believe? His preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized, both men and women. Let me ask you a question. Do we baptize unbelievers? We do not. We baptize believers, those who have already been born again, who come to faith in Christ. These guys are already saved at this point. Now, verse 14. Oh, verse 13, and Simon himself believed also. When he was, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, and he was wondered in shock, amazement, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Verse 14, now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they were already saved. They sent unto them, the church says, that's great, we need to send someone else. They sent unto him Peter and John, who, when they were come down, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Why? For as yet he was not fallen, what? Upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Clearly a subsequent experience here. Now, I love our cessationist brothers. The, the objection they bring up is they say, well, if you need some subsequent experience to get something from God, then it means you didn't get everything you got when you're saved, and that's wrong because we get everything we, we need in Christ when we're in Christ. Okay. To which I ask them, do you ever pray for wisdom or guidance, or do you ever get anything else from the Lord? I mean, is it just you get born again, you're saved, and the Lord's like, see you in heaven? Certainly not. That is an absurd idea. We are constantly asking for things. We're constantly seeking the Lord from things. He's constantly blessing us and giving us things. What is any difference whatsoever with the Holy Spirit? Why do we turn this into some theological debate when it's just, I'm asking the Lord for a blessing? I say, well, that's a second blessing idea, and we don't, you don't get any other blessings and from the day you get saved? What, what kind of walk do you have with the Lord? I'm sorry, but I respectfully disagree. That is not a biblical idea. We are constantly receiving things from the Lord as believers. There's no difference here to receive the Holy Spirit as well for empowerment, for Him to overflow our lives. There is no difference. The next example, Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Saul's on the road to Damascus. And what happens with Saul on the road to Damascus? He meets Jesus. Jesus blinds him, but he can't see, and he's asking him questions, and how does that whole encounter end? Saul of Tarsus, he says, what do you want me to do, Lord? Calls him Lord. What do you want me to do? So, people traveling with Paul, they help him get into the city. He's blind. He can't see. And God comes to this believer in Damascus, a guy named Ananias. He said, Ananias, I want you to go and find this guy named Saul, and I want you to go pray for him that he receives his sight again, because I've got a good, pl a good plan for him. He can't stay blind and fulfill the plan I have for him. Ananias, of course, says, time out, Lord. I've heard about this guy, Saul. <laughs> I, I've heard he's got letters like of authority from the high priest to arrest and drag Christians to trial. I don't think this is a good idea. And I love the Lord. He just says, go. Just go. None of that matters. You go. He's a chosen vessel unto me. 
Verse 17, and Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, he said, what? Brother Saul. Listen, there is no way that Ananias is going to call him a, a guy who's been a murderer, a brother, unless he's already saved. He's already repented of his sins, and he's been born again. Saul's already been born again. He's said, Lord, what do you want me to do, Lord? And here he calls him Brother Saul. The Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto you in the way as you came, he has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Subsequent experience. Look at Acts 19. There's others, but this will be the last one we look at this morning because you could do a whole study just on this topic. Acts 19, verses 1 through 6. I had a gentleman, it was so weird that I'm teaching this this morning. It was just a guy bumped into, and he said to me, he goes, do you believe in a second blessing, like a, like a baptism of the Holy Spirit? And I said, I don't know what kind of conversation I'm getting into here. I said, but yes, I do. Same way we ask for so many other things from the Lord that happen after our salvation, I do. And he's like, good, I think that's what I need. One verse one of chapter 19 of Acts, it says, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain who? Disciples, followers. He said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They were already believers. They'd already believed. They're already disciples. Well, they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. This is news to us. We're baby believers. So he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, well, unto John's baptism. That's when we get water baptized, it's John's baptism. It's a baptism of repentance. We want everybody to know that I've repented of my sins and I'm following the Lord now. I'm testifying to my changed life. They said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him who should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. They said, okay, well, yeah. When they heard that, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So even if you believe, well, verse 1, chapter 19, means they were just disciples of John, that they had believed John. They weren't actually born again. Well, they are in verse 5. Because when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do we baptize unbelievers? No. We baptize believers. So they're believers here. Verse 6, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, a subsequent experience, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Any way you shake this out, any way you want to try to explain it, these guys were believers before Paul had a specific time where he prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. That means we already get the Holy Spirit living inside of us the moment we get saved. If you're being water baptized, it means the Holy Spirit's already living inside of you. So for them to have hands laid on them to receive the Holy Spirit means this is a subsequent experience. Now, does it have to be a large gap between someone getting saved and someone being baptized with the Holy Spirit? No. In fact, we have an example of it occurring immediately after conversion in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. In Acts chapter 10, Peter is, 
has been, uh, an angel came to Cornelius in and, and a vision and said to him, go and, and get this guy Peter to come down and, and to share something important with you. And so Peter, the Lord tells him, go, even though he's a Gentile, go. Don't call what I've cleansed unclean. And so he goes down and he preaches the gospel to them, explains Christ to them. Well, in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, while Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Now, the word hear here is not just hearing with the ears. It means hear and respond. These folks were hearing the gospel, and they were responding. Many of them were already believers. They were just old covenant believers, Gentiles who had come to faith in Jehovah God. And now they realize, oh, Jesus is the promised Messiah. They're believing as, as Peter's explaining. And look at what happens. The Holy Ghost fell on them, which were, they had heard the word. And those of the circumcision which believed, the Jewish people there with Peter, they were astonished because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did they know? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized? Which I mean, clearly they've received the Holy Ghost as we have, just like we have. They've, they've been baptized with the Spirit. So they need, they're believers. Clearly they need to get water baptized. So he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they did. Then they asked him to tarry for certain days. So it is a subsequent experience, but I think all of us might have a different story of how subsequent that might be. Well, you might be wondering, why do we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit today? We need it to have the power to be a witness for Jesus. Jesus told them, do not go. There is a great commission, but do not go until you be endued with power from on high. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. Think about it for just a moment, okay? Think about this. These guys had observed Jesus, served with Jesus. They'd already been sent out by Jesus to do miracles and preach. But Jesus says, you still need this power. I can't think of a better seminary to attend. I can't think of a better ministry to grow up under. I can't think of a better mentor to learn from. I don't think there was anyone who had more qualifications to go out and do the thing Jesus had called them to do ever in history. And yet he says, don't go do this until you've been be endued with power from on high. They still needed this power. If they did, we certainly do. Listen, it doesn't matter how many evangelism classes you've taken or how much you know about the Bible. If you are operating in your own power, you will not be a faithful witness for Christ. You won't. You might say all the right things. You might check all the boxes. But the encounter that occurs between you and an unbeliever when you're sharing the gospel with them is a Holy Ghost encounter. When you got saved, it wasn't because a preacher did a great job. It wasn't because the person did a wonderful job explaining the gospel to you. They may have laid a lot of groundwork, but it was an encounter with the living God themselves that changed them, that brought them from darkness to light. We need to not be operating in our own power if we're going to fulfill this call to be a witness all throughout the earth for Jesus. And secondly, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit today to fulfill the Great Commission. Look at Matthew 28 with me. You know, we know the Great Commission. We just often forget the verse that comes right before it. Go into all the world, make disciples of all men, right? All nations. 
But the verse that comes right before it is why he says go. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20 occur at the same time, the same location that Luke tells us Jesus said, listen, wait. Wait here in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Same location. They just give us different parts of the conversation. Jesus, he said to them at the same time, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, it's in light of that power that Jesus has all power. Therefore, you go and you teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. This, I have all power and I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That word teach there is the main verb of this section. Every other What looks like a verb is what we call a participle. It assists the verb, or it tells you how to do the verb. What does it mean to teach all nations? The word teacher means to make a disciple. Our great commission is to go out and make disciples of all nations. We do it by going, we do it by baptizing, we do it by teaching them the Word of God. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus did not say, open the doors of your church and hope they come in. He didn't. He said, go out and bring them in. But he sends us out based on his almighty power. The word power, it's that word dunamis in the Greek, where we get our word dynamite from. It means dynamic ability and enablement. We do need to study our Bible. We do need to learn how to articulate our faith. But most importantly, we need the dynamic ability of almighty God overflowing us if we are to impact others. That's how someone who's a new believer can be used of God to lead someone to Christ, even though they still have so much to learn. Because if the the Spirit of God is operating and overflowing their life, well, God has all power, so He can do anything, right? He's not limited by how long you've been walking with Him. Jesus taught His disciples this before this day was coming. Look at Matthew chapter 10 with me. This is why this is so important, especially in our current climate. I believe we're coming to the end, the days that Jesus talked about, that he warned his disciples about here. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 20. Jesus said to them in Matthew 10, verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep amongst wolves, Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. How do we do that? Like seriously, think about that for just a minute. How does a sheep go out amongst wolves and not get ripped to pieces? It's impossible. There's there's no way that like, have you ever seen sheep huddling up and they're like, all right guys, this is how we're going to get it done. We got all these predators out here. They want to get us, but this is how we're going to get it done. All right. Okay. Code name Lambo. We're going to go get them. No, that's not, not how it works. Sheep are incredibly vulnerable. They can't defend themselves. If they go amongst wolves, they're going to get ripped up. So he tells us, therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We have all sorts of birds that fly around my neighborhood. There's just lots of trees in my neighborhood. And, and I love birds. And so when they're, 
when they come, they, they like to perch on our basketball hoop that's in the, the front yard. And, and there's always one of them up there when I come out, read my Bible or whatever. And, and I always kind of like want to just kind of edge a little bit closer, just kind of get, hi, you know, just maybe carry on a conversation. I, I'm weird. We have an owl that will come sometimes. I like to hoot back at him because he hoots back at me. He says, you're an ugly owl. <laughs> But the minute I move, the minute I get up, the minute I have any motion, they dart. They're harmless. They're, they're, I, I never sit down. I'm like, oh, there's a bird on the... I don't do that. They're harmless. A dove is harmless. I don't think the same could be said of many Christians in the United States today. You say, yeah, but they're going to trample us. Okay, I get you. You're right. We ought to be wise as serpents. Serpent doesn't go out into the middle of the, the glade and there's hawks all, you know, he's not like, oh, don't matter, hi guys. I remember I was on my front porch again one day and uh, all of a sudden all the lizards just ran and jumped up on the wall. And I was like, what's going on? Just a few seconds later, and he popped up and he snapped trying to get one. I didn't even know he was there. So the idea is we, we have to be able to strike a balance. How are we going to do that? Well, I've just got a generally nice disposition. Good luck. You're not going to do it on your own. You're a sheep, and you're sent out in front of wolves. How are you going to be harmless as a dove, but wise as a serpent? How are you going to navigate this world that hates you, that, that hates what you have to say? How are you going to do it with love and with grace and with truth and not get ripped to pieces? Jesus explains, verse 17, but beware of men for they're going to deliver you to the councils and scourge you in their synagogues. There's, there's times that you don't need to say something. There's times you do need to say something. There's times you need to not say it this way. You need to say it this way. How are you going to know that? Verse 18, you should be brought before governors and kings for my sake for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. Why? For it is not you that speak, but who? The Spirit of the Father. The Spirit of the Father who is going to speak in you. It's the Holy Spirit overflowing our lives, speaking through us. Guys, the church is not a group that can organize really well or get our arguments clean enough so that the world's going to go, oh, that makes sense. Let's do that. It's not going to happen. Cults can try that. Political parties can try that. But we cannot take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the world without being baptized with the fire of the Holy Spirit. In contrast, by His power working through us, overflowing us, we can turn the world upside down for Jesus. All right, here's the big one. How do you know you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Again, there are multiple views out here. I'm just going to be really simple and call one the unbiblical view and one the biblical view. The unbiblical view is that the evidence that you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit is that you have the gift of tongues. That is not biblical. Every single time, every single time a believer in the Scripture was baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was different. We're going to kind of do a machine gun study of the book of Acts, okay? Acts 2. What happened in Acts 2? We see in Acts 2, there was a mighty rushing wind, sound of a mighty rushing wind, I should say. It's never happened to me when I've been filled with the Spirit. 
Verse 3, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. If you get, get a fire going, what are you going to see? The kind of the different waves, different kind of flames we call them. That's what those tongues of fire were. Those were up above their heads. I've never had that. But they did. And they spoke with other languages, other tongues. So those three things happened in Acts 2. Look at Acts 4, verse 31. 4, verse 31 And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So in this case, there was no tongues of fire, no sound of a rushing wind, no speaking in tongues, but the building shook. I haven't had that happen to me either. That'd be cool. I've asked for God to shake the building. That'd be cool. Look at Acts 8, verses 17 and 18. These are the Samaritans who were saved. Peter and John came down, laid hands on them. Verse 17 says they received the Holy Ghost. Verse 18, and when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. This is a guy who was used to doing miracles and getting people to follow him, used to having things they could see. So nothing's mentioned here, no tongues, no, no fiery thing above the heads, no sound of a rushing wind, no building shaking, but it had to be something visibly observable and supernatural because Simon wanted to purchase the power to make it happen. Acts 9, verses 17 and 18, Paul was healed of his blindness. Acts 9, verse 18, and I said that I'm here to pray for you, you might receive the filling of the Holy Ghost. Verse 18, and immediately there fell from his eyes, Saul's eyes, as it had been scales, and he received his sight immediately, and he got up and was baptized. So Paul was healed. No, he didn't speak in tongues there. There was no building shaking, no sound of a rushing wind. It was just a healing. Acts 10, verse 46, when Cornelius and his family and those with him were baptized with the Holy Spirit, They knew it because verse 46 says, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God, which means there was interpretation of tongues. Because the Bible tells us that when you speak in an unknown tongue, you don't speak unto men, you speak unto God. So they were magnifying the Lord, just like in Acts chapter two, they were magnifying the Lord in a language they didn't understand. That's what these guys were doing here. But there was no mighty rushing wind, there was no tongues of fire. So you had the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues. Acts 19, verse 6, our last one. 19, verse 6, when they're baptized, the Ephesian believers here are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. They started preaching. They started saying, hey, the Lord gave me something to share. So if you look at all of these examples, never, never do we see the same exact thing happen twice. So it can't be tongues. In fact, if we look at John chapter 7, John chapter 7, Jesus, when he's describing this baptism, this overflowing of the Holy Spirit, John says something really important, Share something really important that Jesus said. John 7, verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly, his innermost being, shall flow or gush rivers of living water. And then John explains. 
But this he spoke of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. In other words, when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the evidence has to be something outward, not inward. The Bible teaches that in 1 Corinthians 14.4, that the person who speaks in an unknown language, in tongues, edifies themselves. It's inward. It's not outward. So that can't be the evidence, which means we need to look for a different evidence than tongues. And we find it in Jesus' very clear words in Acts chapter 1. We've already read it. He says, and you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. It's boldness, boldness, power to be a bold witness. This is the fruit we see from every person in the Bible who is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Every time you see it, they were different than they were before. Where before they weren't preaching or sharing the gospel, now they are. They're doing it boldly. We see Peter before Pentecost and a a serving girl, someone who has no authority to get him in trouble or do anything about it if she's right. And she says, I know you were his disciple. And Peter said, I never met the man. God strike me dead right now if I know the guy. Then we get Peter in chapter 2. He's preaching, telling the religious leaders you need to repent. Then he's there in Acts chapter 4 in our scripture reading. He's telling them, well, you want to know how this happened? I'll tell you. The man that you killed, he's our Messiah, and you need to repent. A message from the Lord. Totally different guy. Paul, after he's been healed, he gets baptized. Now he starts preaching about Jesus in Damascus. And of course, Acts 4.31 describes it best. The place was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. Boldness. Now, does the Holy Spirit bestow sometimes gifts like tongues or prophecy or healing when a person receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Yes, sometimes that happens, but not always. Not always. He does what He wants not what we want, because He's the Lord, not us. The most important question, how do you and I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Really simple. It's a free gift. It's not something that we earn by being holy enough or good enough. God can't fill an unclean vessel. Yeah, well, we're all doomed then. The Bible says that when we're in Christ, we've been cleansed, and we have all things richly in Christ Jesus. So what do we do? Like everything else, we ask. We ask. It's a free gift. Acts chapter 8, verse 20, Peter chastised Simon because he had thought that he could purchase the gift of God with money. It's a gift. Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, Paul is writing a letter of correction to the Galatian Christians because they had become legalistic. They were doing everything in their own strength. And he said, this only would I learn of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Faith. So how do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You receive it by faith, just like every other blessing from God. And Jesus specifically mentions this in Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. In Luke 11, verses 11 through 13, Jesus said, If a son ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Think of that, dads. If your kid came to you and said, Dad, I'm hungry. Can I have a, can I have a piece of bread? You're not going to go down on the ground, grab a rock, and go munch on that. 
How about that, kiddo? Or if he asks for a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks him for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Obviously, the answer is no. So if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? You just ask, and you receive it by faith, just like every other blessing from God. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's what Jesus said in the great Sermon on the Mount. You simply ask, and then you receive. And it works that way with all of the Holy Spirit's gifts as well. We will cover the gifts of the Holy Spirit in our next study, but you know, maybe you're here today and you feel like you need a certain gift. Well, then just ask. You don't have to become good enough. Just ask. And if you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit and you, you ask Him, will God give you the gift of tongues or give you some other gift? Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. That's up to Him, not me. But it's up to you to ask and receive whatever He wants to give you. As the worship team comes up, you can certainly do this in the privacy of your home. I mean, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was, I was 15 years old. I was in my bedroom, and I had heard a teaching on it that day, and or I'd read about I don't remember exactly how it was. It was not like an, an opportunity to come forward and be prayed for. And so I was in my bedroom, and I was just there, and I just asked. I said, God, I, I want to be a bold witness. I don't want to be a scaredy cat, because I was a scaredy cat. The first time I ever shared my faith, I was, a, I was a new believer, I was excited, and I started telling everybody in my Spanish class. They were throwing lots of words at me afterwards, and they weren't Spanish words. I said, I'm never telling anybody about Jesus again. Honest story. That was horrible. And so I was in my bedroom, I was like, God, I don't want to be like this anymore. I want to be bold. I want your power. God gave me the gift of tongues that night. There was no shaking the building, no other things happened. I had words come into my mind that clearly were not English, and I didn't know what they meant. And I started speaking them, but that was, that was it. But from that time onward, things changed in my life. There were no bright lights or shaking buildings, but I started having boldness to share my faith. And while that was my personal experience, and you're free to do that, the truth is all the examples we have in the book of Acts are one where a group of believers are praying for other believers to receive the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I've asked some of our leaders, they're going to come down front now, front of the sanctuary, and I've asked them to be available to lay hands on any who would like to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you've never done that before, there is nothing to be afraid of, okay? You're going to come down here, they're going to pray for you. Nobody's going to shove a microphone in front of your mouth and say, all right, speak in tongues, all right? Now listen, listen to me. If you're here and you're praying and the Lord starts Start, words start coming into your head that are not English, well then he's given you the gift of tongues. So you need to, at some point, speak them out. So if you hear that this morning where someone comes up and they're being prayed for and they start doing that kind of under their breath, then don't think, oh, something unbiblical is going on. No, that's just them and the Lord, okay? All right? That's biblical. So so if that happens, there's nothing again to be fearful. No one's going to take control of your mouth, all right? You have to decide to do it by faith. Maybe the Lord might give you a different gift. Maybe, maybe you have need of a different gift, and maybe the, Lord might give. maybe the Lord might heal you today. I don't know. But ultimately, what, we, what you need is this power to be a witness for Him. So whether you receive any gifts today or not, these guys are going to be available to pray for you 
that you might be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've already been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you've made that decision in the past, well, remember, we see in scriptures that the believers ask for it again. Maybe you need a fresh filling this morning. That's what they asked for in Acts chapter 4, right? The same guys in Acts 4 were the same guys who were baptized with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, but they were filled afresh and were given boldness. Maybe you feel this morning that you've been doing it on your own lately, or maybe you just want more of the Spirit's power to be a witness for Jesus, then come. We will continue to worship as long as people are coming forward. So, Lord, we give you this time now, and we ask that you pour out your Spirit upon us. We confess to you, Lord, we don't have the ability to do this on our own. No matter how much we might have been trained, how much we've studied, we recognize that when we share the gospel with people, when we're out there, when we're discipling people, it's a supernatural encounter and we don't want to do it in our own strength. Lord, we need the ability to know what to say, to how to say, when to say it, so that we can be those sheep amongst wolves. Lord, you didn't call us to be cavalry armed with armor, you know, horses. Lord, you called us to be sheep amongst wolves. So, Lord, to be those people who are harmless as doves but wise as serpents, we need the power of your Spirit, Lord, to impact this community for your kingdom. So, Lord, As people come forward, would you baptize them in your spirit? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.